Good morning, everybody. It's so great to see y'all this morning. We're so glad that you're here at New Hope with us um, as part of our family. It's a great day to worship God, and um, it Thanksgiving happened. I hope everyone's awake and not still tired like I was from overeating on Thanksgiving. But it was a great holiday, and I hope that everybody at least had a chance to look back at this past year and just think about all that God has done. My family and I were talking the other day about that. They were talking about what Thanksgiving meant, and we had watched a video about you know the, the Mayflower and, and the aspects of that. And then we talked about how really for Christians, for us, it's about saying, let's, let's say out loud what God has done for our family this year and the miracles or the hardships that he got us through or anything. And so I hope that you all had a chance to do that, um, to praise him in that way. So now it's coming up, this, the Advent season is soon coming, and we have some exciting things to talk about this morning. Our ACT teams are going to have an announcement first. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> some of you may have seen already this morning that our ACT team's Christmas post office is out. So if you could put uh, your cards and the money, it is 25 cents a card, uh, just in the basket right next to it, we will sort and hand all of those out. And then the closing dates should be posted soon. That's a great thing to participate in for their fundraising and to help you not have to hand cards out to everyone at church. And also, don't forget about the angel tree. There are still angels at the back that if you want to get one of those angels and um, get the things that are on that, that would be wonderful. Those dates, that's coming up really soon. And there's a couple places around the church that show what is happening in December because it is a lot in December. So if you see one of those tags, take a picture of it so you can remember all the new schedules and what's going on this month. Um, like tonight, we have trivia night at church, and it's going to be fun. So please come out and just take time to have fun in groups and win prizes and eat some food and see what all we know about the Bible in a fun way. Um, you're not going to be forced to answer, so please come. <laughs> I think that is all the announcements. I'm trying to look at people's eyes if someone's reminding me of something. All right, well, let's get to, you know what I want to say? I just talked to Anita, and, you know, we talk about prayer a lot because prayer is our connection to God. It is a gift that we've been given when Jesus came that we can come to God in prayer. Um, so I want to say on behalf of Bud, who had just had surgery, a major surgery, and he just wanted to thank you all for the prayers and their family. And, and, I, and I can say that a lot of people come to me and say, I want to thank the church for all their prayers. So prayers for our church, for our church's direction, for the members, for their health, for, for your family and other families, it is so important and it's so felt. So that's a thank you from Bud and just a thank you on behalf of everyone that has told me that um, for all the prayers that you all give to these people of this church, your family. All right, let's go to God in prayer. Holy Father, Abba, we adore you and we give you this time and we pray, Lord, that we worship you in a holy way, that we sing words that, that we mean, Lord, that we not let any prayers or songs or thoughts be in vain or because we feel like we need to. But Lord, let us sing praises to you with pure and honest hearts, Lord. 
Let us come before you in confession right now, God. Confessing all our sins, Lord, confessing what we need to so that our hearts can be prepared for worship and for the vastness of this. Lord, we pray that not only that we please you from our words, Lord, but that we, that we humbly come before you and, and realize that we are nothing without you, our Father. That your direction should be ours and your words ours and let our thoughts and our feelings be void here so that we can seek what you want. And that is all we want, Lord. If we, if we follow you, we should just want what you want from us, whatever that is. So reveal that to us in powerful ways as we come together and in, in all this multitude and those online and those here, reveal to us what you want as individuals, as a church, in the music, in whatever, God. Straighten our path, make it toward you if it's off course. Our lives are yours, Lord. We are your servants. Thankfully, God, we have you. And it's in your son's name that we can pray. Amen.
Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Though he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand. It's always fun. Everywhere you go, the, the microphones work differently. The equipment works differently. I've yet to, to fall flat on my face trying to do it, but we get it going. Guys, good morning. I am, uh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I, I love this part of my job, going and, and getting to speak to churches on Sunday mornings, especially uh, getting to worship with you, sing with you, uh, celebrate God with you. And uh, every time I go to a church, that experience is a little different. Um, I come here and I see some familiar faces, some folks that I recognize, um, and I'll tell you one weird thing that you may not know about me that, that I, I recognize when I got in this church is your ceiling tiles. I remember as a kid, our church had exactly the same ceiling tiles, and I would lay as a child not paying attention to anything and go, I wonder if I can count them from here. And I can't. I never have been able to. Um, if anybody has that number, please let me know. Um, I am glad to be here with you this morning. Like Sonny said, my name is Robbie. I'm the coordinator for the Shelby Mission Camp. Uh, my wife, Christy, and my daughter, Reagan. Can you wave, Reagan? There she is. Um, we live there at the camp. We all coordinate the camp together. I guess it'd be fair to say uh, Christy and I are the coordinators, and Reagan is the uh, director of operations and snacks. <laughs> and so uh, we, I, I promised uh, Russ that when I got up here this morning, I would tell you just a little bit about the camp. Uh, typically, I like to spend Sunday mornings in the Bible studying with you and worshiping with you. But uh, I, will, I will tell you a little bit about it. Uh, Sonny did a great job. I, I place uh, great value on the church. I really, really do. And I think you said it best. The church is God's chosen people. And I say that as we. we. We're God's chosen people to carry the gospel message forward. That really is what we're here to do. We get to join God in that work. And that's an amazing thing. And, and I'm so happy that uh, God has placed Christy and Reagan and I at the Shelby Mission Camp in order to enable the church to do exactly that thing. Uh, just as a show of hands, who's been to the camp before? Okay, so quite a few of you. Um, it, if you haven't been, it's in Shelby on Lafayette Street. If you know where Kate's Skating Rink, or it's Kylie's now, but I think it used to be called Kate's. Um, right behind that, if you weren't looking for it, you wouldn't see it. But if you look back there, there's this, this facility that is owned by uh, Baptist on Mission, which is the uh, group used to be called North Carolina Baptist Men. Uh, we have this facility back there. It's a 13-acre uh, facility where we bring out-of-town teams in to come serve in Shelby, and then we work with local churches to uh, get you guys out and uh, doing outreach ministry, doing missions ministry in your communities. And I think that is the, the key, and that's the lifeblood for what we do, is, is we want to take you, uh, use the resources that we have, use the camp that we have, use the network that we have to take you out into uh, your communities to serve. My, my boss, his name is Paul. Um, he would probably... Uh, reject the term boss, but he's my boss. Um, and he says, get you out of the seats and into the streets. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what we want to do. Um, as a camp, we want to come alongside the church, not replace the church. I um, mean, we, we, want, we want to make sure that uh, 
you guys are given the opportunities you can have, given the, uh, the resources and tools you need to go out and do outreach ministry. Um, I'd love to get with you at some point, uh, not on a Sunday morning, and have a really long discussion about that. Uh, we've got construction ministry that you guys have helped with before. Um, I know you came to Deep Impact either this summer or last summer. I think it was this, I think it was last summer. You did Church Without Walls um, at the beginning of this year. So uh, we're excited to get to continue to partner with you. I'm um, excited to get to continue to serve Cleveland County um, with you. And I'll, I'll transition by saying this. Uh, a lot of the stuff we do is, is needs-based. So we're doing construction. We're doing hunger relief. We're doing uh, street evangelism, those kind of things. But know that at, at the core of everything that we do as a camp, at the core of everything we do as, as Baptist on Mission, and really at the core of everything we do uh, as a church is the gospel. That the core of all the things that we do is the gospel. It's, it's this, this message that uh, God sent His Son, Christ, as the propitiation for our sins. That is at the center of everything we do as a camp. And we're, we're constantly adjusting. Uh, we're constantly uh, changing the way that we do our ministries and the way that we operate so that we can stay faithful uh, to that mission. And, and in a similar way, I think the gospel should be the uh, message at the core of the church's ministry. Uh, both universally, like Big C Church, if you want to call it that, and, and locally with guys like New Hope, right? The Bible calls you as a church to be the body of Christ uh, and tasks you with, like you said, Sonny, carrying that gospel message uh, to the nations. And that's, that's what the church should be doing. Um, and if, if, that's the, if that's the central focus of the camp, that's the central focus of the church, I believe this too. I believe that when we read the Bible that we need to be faithful to read the Bible and understand the Bible as this book that has at its core the message of the gospel. That at, at its very core, the Bible is a book that is about Jesus. And that book is about Jesus and His work and his, uh, God's redemptive plan for mankind. And that we need to read the entire Bible, not just the Gospels in the New Testament, with that in mind. When we read the Bible, no matter what book, what chapter, what story we're reading... We need to keep an eye out for Jesus to make an appearance. And uh, I believe that if we do this, if we're faithful to do that, uh, it's going to transform the way we read the Bible, and it will ultimately transform our lives. Um, I've done a lot of different things from a lot of different pulpits in Cleveland County uh, over the last year and a half. And, and this morning, I want to change it up a little bit. We're not going to take like some kind of massive deep dive into the Bible. I'm not going to take you like through Romans 9 and, and drag you all through the weeds. I'll let uh, Russ do that in due time. This morning instead, I want to go a little bit lighter. Uh, I want to read a story with you. It's the story of David and Goliath. I don't know if there's anything behind me. If you'll open your Bibles, if you'll turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's where we want to be. We're going to read the story of David and Goliath. We're going to read the story of David and Goliath specifically with an eye out for Jesus. And I think if we do that, it may change the way that we read the story. So as you're opening your Bibles, let's start with prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you, God, for the ability to gather this morning to worship you. Uh, it's your church gathered, Father, and you've, you've given us this church to do life with, and you've given us uh, your word to guide us in that effort. And Father, your word's good and it's true, and, and we know, God, that it was um, inspired by you to do one primary thing, and that is to reveal to us the truth of the gospel, reveal to us Christ. So God, as we read this morning, as we, as we read what is a familiar story to us, it's the story of David and Goliath. God, I pray that uh, you will be with us, 
that you'll open our hearts, that we would understand the message, uh, what it meant to the people of Israel, but that we would understand the message in its greater context too, God, that we would understand uh, your greater redemptive story, the story of your pursuit of us in our sinful state, uh, and then how that all ties in, God, to the greatest news we've ever heard, which is the gospel. So, Father, we love you. I pray that you'll uh, guide us in this time and allow us to see the truth in your word. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so, so whoa, I can't, I can't do that. Um, what I think we need to do is this. We need to look first at the scene here in, in the Bible as 1 Samuel 17. Um, if you guys have heard the story of David and Goliath before, I'm actually going to skip a lot of the parts you already know, and we're going to read some of the parts in 1 Samuel 17 that you may uh, not have seen. So let's start. We're going to start in, in chapter 17, verse 1. And it says this, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they gathered at Soka, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soka and Azekah at, in Ephesdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up the line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. Having my notes here, I said, "Did you see Jesus in there?" No, you probably didn't. Look, at the, I don't want to mislead you as we start this process. But I'm not saying that as you read the Bible and you look for Jesus, that Jesus is going to be under every rock, right? It's not going to be. He's not going to be in every verse explicitly. This story starts like all good stories. It lays out the setting of the scene. Uh, but you need to know it, it's. Not everything in this has spiritual, spiritual significance, right? Uh, this is simply an explanation of what we're seeing. The places are just places. The mountains are just mountains. The valley is literally just a valley. Um, it's not important that you understand all the geography in the area, but you need to know this. In the story of David and Goliath, they're talking about this valley of Elah. And what you've got happening here is, is you've got this, this valley that's down between two mountainsides. Um, this valley would have been a rough border for the area between Judah and the Philistine territory. On uh, one side, on one mountain, you have the Israelite army. On the other side, on the other mountain, you have the Philistine army. And they would come down the mountain into the valley to draw this line of battle every day. That means a couple things. If you're not a, if you're not a military tactician, everybody talks about having the high ground. In this case, both armies had the high ground. An attack on either camp would be an uphill battle uh, for the enemy. When they drew up this line of battle, they would go down into the sides of this valley. They would literally form a line, and they would be standing there ready to go at it. So that's what we're looking at. We've got two armies camped on both sides of a valley coming out to meet each other in battle. And it's in this setting, in this setting that we meet our first major player, and that is Goliath. So I don't want to bury the lead on you this morning. As we read through the story, here's what I want us to see. I want us to see that in the story of David and Goliath, what we can view is uh, a story of God's people. It's God's people that need a deliverer, a deliverer that's given to them in the form of David, and then David, who by God's power delivers them from Goliath. So here's what we read, all right, verse 4. In this valley... And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. 
And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. Now, you may not know what a, a cubit is, and you may not know what a shekel is or, or any of that stuff. Sometimes in, in your Bible translations, it may convert that over to pounds for you. But here's the point. There's not really a reason to dig into any of that information other than to know this. Goliath was huge. Goliath was a massive man. There's no, there's no significance, I don't think, to any of the numbers that are in there other than to say this guy was gigantic. He was literally, he was a giant. That's the point. The point is Goliath was huge and that he was well suited for battle. He had this great suit of armor. He had this, this uh, spear that would have been tremendous. He had this shield that he would carry out in front of him. Goliath was a big man and he was a warrior. And what's important is what comes next. It's what that massive Philistine champion was doing. So we read in verse 8, we read this. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, if you've played Call of Duty, or if you just paid attention to warfare at all, uh, this might seem a little strange. Because from a modern perspective, we look at this and we go, well, that would be a really easy problem to solve. Uh, one little sniper team and Goliath is done. Um, so this may seem strange to us, but this is actually pretty typical of the way war would have played out in, in ancient Israel. Um, war was extremely costly, and so if you had these two massive armies that are going to go up against each other, a lot of men are going to be lost in the process. So rather than doing that every time they came up against an opposing army, they devised this system of champions. Right? So they're going to send the biggest guy out from the Philistine army, the biggest best guy out from the Israelite army, and that one person will represent the armies as they do battle. Then the armies will accept the results of that battle, and they will move on more whole than they would be if they had an all-out war. Now, we have the advantage of Christians of reading the Bible from this side of the cross, and we know uh, where the story's ultimately going. Um, we can make connections, make the connections that the people in the valley that day could not have made, and it's within this champion-based system that we get our first whiff of the gospel. Right? We should smell the gospel in this champion system because what's called for in this system is one man to come out and represent the people of God, one man to stand in their place, one man to wage war on their behalf. We read this in Romans 5. It's 5, 17 through 19. It says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. 
What's called for here in, in 1 Samuel 17 is Israel needs a representative. They need a champion. Israel needs a champion to claim victory on their behalf. They need someone to deliver them out of the hands of this giant man. Israel, the people of God in this story, they need a deliverer. But there's just one problem, and that is they don't have one. We read this in verse 11, right? So, so Goliath is standing out in front of the Israelite army. He's calling for a champion to come out and fight him. And then in verse 11, we see uh, the response from the Israelites. We see, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. And for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. For 40 days. Look at the response of the Israelites here. They were scared, which makes sense. Goliath was a big man. They were dismayed. They were downtrodden. And this wasn't just like a, like a quick thing, like they got caught off guard by Goliath. This was for 40 days. So they were scared to start with. They were scared after 40 days of working and looking at this man, uh, Goliath. They were pinned. They were trapped. They didn't look around and beat their chest, call a guy up and send him off to do battle. They sat there frozen. And, and what we see in this verse, what we see in this passage here is that God's people, God's chosen people, Israel, were in need of a deliverer, but that they had no one that fit the bill. God's people needed a deliverer, and God was going to have to send them one. Do you see the connection here? Do you see the gospel in this story? If we believe the Bible and we know that we face a problem that is bigger than the problem of Goliath, Right? Our problem, Paul says in Romans 5, is sin. That through one man's disobedience, through Adam's disobedience, death reigns. We've been made sinners. We stand in this condemnation. Our problem is that because of our sin, we stand condemned by a holy God, subject to a coming judgment. And, and, and exactly like the people of Israel in the story of David and Goliath, we have a need for a deliverer. We have a need for a deliverer, and that deliverer cannot be one of us. It's not going to be one of our own that we send out to do battle in our place. Somebody will need to come save Israel, and somebody will need to come save us. All right, if you remember, God's people need a deliverer. The second thing we can see in the text is that God gives them David. Let's read in verse 22. It says, And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talks with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistine and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Now, this isn't random. David didn't just show up out of the middle of nowhere, right? The same story this time as the last 40 days. Goliath comes out in front of the line. He says, send me a man to come battle. But this time, there's something different. There's a new guy in the crowd, and that new guy's name is David. Now, if you've read back in 1 Samuel, you know this is the first time we see David. 
Um, in chapter 16, so one chapter before, oddly enough, David is anointed as king. Then we see David enlisted to play the harp for uh, Saul. There was a spirit that was tormenting him. And then after that, we see David becoming the armor bearer for Saul. So David's not just some random boy that wandered up on the line and started to do battle. That's not how it worked. Uh, David is somebody that would have been going back and forth between serving with Saul as his armor bearer and serving as his father's uh, shepherd, caring for the sheep. He'd have been going back and forth, and in this particular instance, he's bringing food to his brothers and he has joined them temporarily on the front lines to see what's going on. Goliath comes out, Goliath makes his stand, and Israel reacts the same way they have been for the last 40 days. In verse 24, it says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him uh, his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So this is business as usual. We'll call it day 41. I don't know if that's right, but we'll say that. Day 41, Goliath comes out. Goliath issues his standard challenge, and Israel shakes in their boots. This time it's different. This time, David heard it. And what I want you to see in the text is in verse 26, we get David's response. Verse 26 says this, And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And here's the important part. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is funny, right? If this was me, if this was me coming up to Goliath, I would go, who is this giant guy that he's able to issue these threats? Who is this man? But it's interesting to note here that, that in this particular verse, and actually in every verse that follows, every time David refers to Goliath, he refers to him in this covenant language, not as this giant. David doesn't say anything about Goliath's size. That's not what he's concerned with. David looks at Goliath and describes him like this. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. So he doesn't say, who is this huge warrior? He does say three things. Who is this uncircumcised, meaning he's not part of the covenant. He's a Philistine. He's not one of God's chosen people. And he's defying the armies of the living God, a.k.a. he is defying God. See, what we see is we see Israel scared to death of this giant man. Israel is, is in need of deliverance. And the deliverer that God sends surveys the scene not based on the size of Goliath, not based on the contrast between Goliath and himself, but instead based on the contrast between Goliath and God. David's looking at this from a godly worldview. He says, who is this guy? This uncircumcised Philistine, does he know who he's talking to? Let's keep reading. Verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, he repeated them before Saul. Or sorry, they were repeated before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, You're not able to go up against this Philistine to fight him, for you're but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine should be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So what we have is David comes up to uh, the armies of the Israelites. He brings food to his brothers like his dad asked him to. He hears this challenge issued by Goliath. And David, being this anointed that no one really knows that much about, shepherd boy, says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That gets sent to Saul, the king. And Saul's reaction is not unreasonable, right? When David runs up to Saul and goes, hey, Saul, I'm going to handle this for you. Don't let Israel fret. Uh, Saul responds like most of us would. He's like, you know, David, listen, I know you're excited. You just got here. I love you. But no. No, you're not going to be able to do this. And here's what we need to do. We need to realize Saul's right. Saul is correct. David cannot do this. We don't need to read. I have seen, I saw it on Facebook the other day, actually, in, in preparation for this. Um, it was a guy, it was one of the reels, if you like that kind of stuff. I'm the guy that sits here and doom scrolls. He had this shepherd's sling. And there was a pan, and he just hurls this rock at this pan. And it makes a loud noise, and it was violent looking. Look, if you read the story of David and Goliath, and, and, and in your mind you go, well, yeah, but David was really good with a sling, and you know, slings really hurt, and rocks flying at that speed would be terrible. You're missing the point. The point is, Saul says, David, you can't beat him, and Saul is exactly right. David's sling was no match for Goliath. David, a shepherd, an armor bearer for the king, yes, but a shepherd, does not stand a chance against a hardened warrior like Goliath. Saul's right. By all looks of things, David's wrong. But look at David's response in verse 36. He says, Your servant has struck down lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine, once again, will be like one of them. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. And here's where it gets interesting. David switches from this language of, I've struck down bears, I've killed lions. In 37, he switches to this language. He says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. Now, I don't want you to think David was a wimp. David's not a random shepherd. David's an arm bearer for the king. We see in 16, he's a man of war, a man of valor. But he is running into battle with nothing in his hands. David's confident that Goliath will be defeated because of his defiance of God. David's confident in his ability to defeat Goliath because he knows that ultimately it will be God doing the delivering. David can deliver Israel because God can deliver David. Here's what we need to see. Listen, David, when he showed up on the scene in 1 Samuel 17, he may not have been the warrior that Israel wanted. 
But David was the shepherd that they needed. David was a good shepherd. He was a faithful shepherd who God had already anointed as king even though the people didn't know that yet. Sent by God to stand in the place of Israel and be the deliverer of His chosen people from their seemingly impossible affliction. Does that ring any bells for anybody? Listen, God sent David to deliver Israel from Goliath. God sends us a better David to deliver us from our sin and reconcile us to Himself. The same way Israel needed a deliverer, we need a deliverer. And the deliverer that God sends us, his name is Jesus. The better David's name is Jesus. Our sin problem is not one that we're going to be able to overcome. Uh, we're guilty, and, and that guilt requires wrath. That guilt requires some sort of payment. It requires someone to stand in our place, to take on the punishment as it's their own, to save us when we can't save ourselves. John 3.16 is like the simplest Bible verse that everybody can remember. And it tells us exactly about this. It, it paints the picture of God sending just such a deliverer, that He loved us, that He loved us by sending His Son, and that through faith in His Son we could be delivered from death. Jesus is the better David. Jesus is the better deliverer. It's faith in Christ that delivers us from our sin. That's God's plan today, and that's been God's plan all the way back in second, or sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 17. God's people, Israel and us, need a deliverer. God sends them a David, and He sends us a better David. Finally, we can see this. God delivers His people through David. This is the part we all know, right? So, so David goes, I can do this. Um, if you haven't read the story, if you've just seen the VeggieTales version, uh, David puts on Saul's armor. He's the armor bearer. That makes sense. Saul's like, if you're going to go, try to wear this. And he's like, I can't wear this. I've never, I haven't tested it. It doesn't work. Uh, David instead grabs his staff, his sling, a couple of rocks from the creek, and he heads off to face Goliath in this epic fight. Now here's just a small, a small side. Um, when you read the details early on in 1 Samuel about the armor of Goliath, it's very, very detailed about weights and what he's wearing and exactly how it works. The author goes into the same kind of detail about David. So all the things that Goliath has, the, the armor and the, the spear and the sword and the helmet, David does not have. And that's spelled out for us very clearly. There's a contrast between Goliath, this champion of man, and David, this champion of God. And as he comes up to the line ready for battle, you need to understand what is happening. A young, armorless shepherd boy has come out to defeat this battle-ready giant. And in verse 41 we hear Goliath speak. It said, And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David, and his shield-bearer was in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog 
that you have come to me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Goliath looks at David and goes, Are you kidding me? I've been here for 40 days taunting Israel and they sent you? You must not understand who I am. And I love the... It's graphic, but it's cool. Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. Goliath says, David, I will cut you down and leave you here for the animals to eat. Goliath's upset. It's an insult to send this man to fight him. Then we see David speak. David said to the Philistine, this is verse 45, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Once again, we see this covenant language from David. You come to me as a warrior. I come to you as a faithful servant of God. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And then he uses... Goliath's insult, he says, And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. This is the most important verse in all of this story. Right here, verse 46b. In this thing, David says this. He says, So that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord, and He will give you into our hand. Listen, in verse 46 and 47 there, David spells out for us what I believe is the whole purpose of this story. I'm not saying we can't look at David and go, David was brave, David was faithful, uh, David was uh, uh, obedient to the Father. We can see all that stuff and we can go, man, in those certain ways, we want to be like a David. But that's not the point of this story. The point of this story is spelled out for you right here in 46 and 7. David says this, I'm going to do all these things to you, Goliath. The Lord's going to deliver you into my hands so that, so that, two things. So that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. What's going to happen, Goliath? A battle-hardened warrior is going to be taken out by a shepherd with a sling. And when the world sees that, they're going to go, God is good and He is on the side of Israel. The world's going to know that there is a God because of the acts of David on this day. Here's the second thing, verse 47. So that and that all this assembly, and he's speaking about Israel, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, but not with a sword and a spear. David says that the world is going to see this encounter, they're going to know that there's a God, and that the people of God are going to see this encounter, and that they're going to know that God saves. But He doesn't do it in the way you might think in a battle. He doesn't do it with a sword and a spear. How can God save without a sword and a spear against an army? It's because the battle's the Lord's. It's His anyway. We see very similar language to this. Three or four times in 1 Samuel 17, uh, they make the point to say that David went up against Goliath without a sword. That's not an accident. 
This is foreshadowing God's kingdom because God's kingdom is not about swords and spears. Psalm 44, 3, we say it's not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. Speaking about God, it was your right hand and your arm in the light of your face, for you love them. We see it in Joshua 24. It says, I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings, you did not do it with your own sword and your bow. And then for the church, when, when, asked, when they asked Jesus why he wasn't defending himself against arrest, it was this response. It says, my kingdom... The kingdom of God is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. David is there to fight, but David understands something that nobody else in the crowd probably did, and that is that the battle is the Lord's. He's there to fight so that the world can know that there's a God and that Israel can know that God saves, but not with a sword and a spear. We all know what happens next. David fills a sling, spins it, throws the rock. That's not described in there, but I'm assuming that's what's going to happen. Uh, the rock hits Goliath right in the forehead, sinks in, kills him. If you watch the VeggieTales version, that's where it stops. But let me read verse 50 for you. David just slays this giant and it says this, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. This is one of those instances. They note there was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran over, stood over the Philistine, took his sword out, drew it, and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Can you imagine this? Israel's been nervous for 40 days about this giant Goliath. God, the faithful one to his covenant that has promised this to Israel, sends a deliverer to Israel, David, this lowly shepherd king, who goes into battle with essentially nothing, defeats the giant, and then cuts off his head and carries it around with him for a minute while he's headed back to Saul. I can only imagine what it must have felt like to be Saul when David showed up and drops it at his feet. David had delivered Israel from their foe. And this giant's head was proof that the battle had been won. This unlikely shepherd sent by God himself to do what no one inside the camp would have been able to do has reigned victorious because God was with him and he was obedient. In its immediate context, look, the story of David and Goliath in its immediate context is about God's faithfulness to his people, his deliverance of them from their enemies in a way that can only be attributed to his grace. That's the point. But in the greater storyline of the Bible, as we read, we want to look for Jesus. And in this story of David and Goliath, we see a foreshadowing of a greater deliverance. A greater deliverance by a greater David. We see a deliverance that happens not on a battlefield, but on a cross. We see Jesus, our, our better David, in an act of grace and, and complete 
obedience to the plans of the Father, He lays down His life on that cross. He delivers us from our sins by taking on the punishment that's due us. And the confirmation of Christ's victory is not the severed head of a giant, but it's an empty tomb. When we read David and Goliath, it screams the gospel. It screams this good news that we can be delivered, that God has sent someone to do that for us. The gospel is the point of the Bible. The gospel is the point of the story of David and Goliath. And when we read that passage in 1 Samuel, it should remind us of those things. Now we're going to close, and I think there's a song coming up. Um, But know this. As you consider the story of David and Goliath, and you consider the things that we've talked about today, and you think about your own sin, know that just like Israel, there's nobody in this room, nobody in this room was fit to go up against that enemy. Nobody in this room was fit to redeem or deliver themselves. Nobody in this room was fit to redeem or deliver anybody else. God's church, God's people need a deliverer, and that deliverer was sent. There's two ways you can respond to that. The altar will be open for you to do that. If you feel led, come down. If you're a Christian in the room, rejoice. God has delivered you. Rejoice that you can read the Bible and see this picture played out over and over of God stepping in where you couldn't and saving you from sin, giving you eternal life. If you're not a Christian in this room, know something. No amount of effort that you're going to put forward, no amount of training, no amount of skill, no amount of chariots or horses or swords or spears are going to help you save yourself. They're not going to help you solve the problem of your sin. What you need is deliverance. What you need is a deliverer. But out of grace, God has given you that deliverer. If you're lost, if you're facing your sin alone, know that God has sent His Son to die for you. All you have to do is believe Him. All you have to do is accept Christ. And that deliverance counts for you. If the band's going to come back up, they can do so now. We're going to pray. Father, we love you. God, we stand in awe at your provision for your people. We stand in awe at the grace that you extend to us on the cross. God, we read your word and we we just see the pages dripping with the sacrifice of Christ. We know that from the, the foundations of the earth, from when the foundations of the earth were being laid, your redemptive plan was already in motion. There's no accident that when Israel needed you, you sent a shepherd king. It's no accident that this unlikely Savior who was committed to you was able to deliver your people. And it's no accident that you've done the same thing now with a better David. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross for us. We pray that we will get to sit in that sacrifice and understand it and let it just roll around in our minds. And that a greater understanding of that sacrifice would lead us to greater worship of you. Father, we love you and we worship you now. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.
Savior, I surrender. 